Welcome back. I'm Angela Messino, the executive producer of Resettled, and I have some pretty exciting news. Resettled won a regional Edward R. Murrow Award in podcasting, which is one of the most prestigious awards in journalism. Like, wow. I mean, it took quite a team and honestly, an overall community effort to get this podcast through. And of course, if it wasn't for those who let us tag along, record their lives, and essentially share their stories with the world, I mean, this podcast, it wouldn't exist. So I checked in with folks, shared the news, and found out that they too have some pretty exciting updates. And that's who we get to hear from today. We're checking in with our host, Ahmed Bader, whose projects may quite literally be changing the world. I also get to meet up with our favorite Afghani chef whose dumplings have hit star status. And that's where we're heading to first. So I just pulled into Chef Nori's neighborhood. It's on the outskirts of Richmond in the suburbs area. And I'm really excited because I get to meet his family for the first time. These are people that he talks about with love, of course, always. And he talks about them as his inspiration for, for cooking, but not just cooking, for going after his dream. Oh, there he is. He's on his porch. I think that's Mushta. Oh, great. <laughs> he must have seen me roll past. Okay, cool. Gotta love the suburbs. When we left Chef Nori, he was on a mission to share his Afghan culture with the world through his restaurant, The Mantu. Even though he was an accomplished chef in Afghanistan, when he came to the United States five years ago, he had to start all over. In that time, he went from cutting vegetables for the grocery store salad bar to opening his own restaurant. There were, of course, a lot of steps in between. So if you need a refresher, I highly recommend hitting pause and checking out his story in the culture episode. Fast forward to now, though, and it's been over a year that the Montu has been operating in a pandemic. But things could be looking up. Vaccines are out and restaurants are beginning to operate at full capacity. I knew the Montu had challenges. Challenges that Nori liked to laugh off as a piece of cake. Such a dad chef joke. But I also heard something majorly unexpected happened in his life. Yes, thank you so much for inviting me thank you, over. Thank you. Uh, actually, we just uh, saw the um, the beat Bobby Flay. I've never seen it before. Since oh no! I should have told you to wait. <laughs> I want to watch it I with you. Know. Oh no! Uh, we are about to watch it. I mean, just started. Or like, let me. Uh, we will watch together. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, how is he doing? Oh, you know, he was just on the Food Network show, Beat Bobby Flay. All right, it's going to be a bumpy ride, but I'm ready for it all. So we gather into Nori's teal living room on Afghan floor cushions and watch. This next contender has cooked his way from Kabul, Afghanistan to Virginia Beach. Chef Hamadullah Nori. For any chef, being invited onto a national cooking show is an honor. But for Nori, a refugee who had to rebuild his career from scratch, this is big. What was that part like, actually, the coming out of the... Well, I couldn't believe, like, um, when, when it aired, um, when they called me first time for a Beat Bobby Flay show, um, they emailed me first in 2019. I couldn't believe it. I said, um, maybe it's a, it's a fake email I got from somewhere. The invite ended up checking out, and weeks later, a luxury car pulled up to Nori's driveway to take him to the airport. He flew straight to New York. 
the reception said, hey, welcome to the Beat Bobby Flay show. <laughs> I was like, wow, so now it's real. Let's go for it, Nuri. <laughs> the taping happened before all of the shutdowns. And then it was radio silence from the producers. He figured the episode was a fluke and would never air. So he hyper-focused on keeping his restaurant going despite the challenges of the pandemic. Then, in May... I received an email from Beat Bobby Flay. They said, um, your show is coming in this month. We're not sure which, which day, but it's going to come this month. And I was like, wow, it really surprised me. If you haven't seen the show, it's a pretty simple concept. For the first round, two chefs are invited to face off against each other. Nori and his competitor had to make a dish featuring snow peas. When they asked me, have you cooked snow peas? I said, yeah, I lied to them because that's a, <laughs> you know, it's a little, you know, a show that you can make it. But I've never cooked that before and I didn't know how to cook it. And so whatever pops in your mind, you got to go for it. I don't have time to just think about what needs to be done. Before coming to the U.S., Nori used to watch American cooking shows. He was especially struck by the celebrity chef Gordon Ramsay. The way he discourages other chefs, I said, one day I will show him how to treat with other chefs because he doesn't know you're always discouraging people. Even then, when he would sometimes have to wade through rubble just to get to his kitchen, he just had a feeling. One day, that guy on the screen... That could be him. Chef Nori. He made it to the next round. This time, Nori gets to choose the secret dish. He challenges Bobby Flay to make the mantu, the Afghan dumpling that inspired the name of his restaurant. All right, Nori, most people don't know this, but I am an expert in Afghani cuisine. Oh. What did you think when he said that? I was like, Afghani expert, I, I've never heard of an Afghan chef and um, back home in Afghanistan and also although I couldn't believe that there is an Afghan chef expert. Yeah, I think Bobby Flay was pulling your leg there too. <laughs> Nori's two younger daughters are watching with us, three-year-old Miriam and eight-year-old Mujda. The two older boys had to go back upstairs to finish school. While her little sister bounces all around her, Mushta sits quietly, legs crossed, eyes fixed on the television. What do you think is going to happen? Well, I think, um, I don't know, I think that my dad's going to, um, my dad really believes in me and I believe in him a lot. A lot? Why is that? Because one time, because he always tells me to be strong, don't give up, and just keep on going higher up your grades and up your life. To Mujda, it doesn't matter if he wins. It just matters that her dad believes in her. And she believes in him. A lot. She says, Daddy, we are, you're so strong and you can make this. You know, we are proud of you. And uh, never let it down. You can make it. And these words makes me, you know, really 
even if I work really hard sometimes, like 20 hours, but when I come home, I feel like I've never worked <laughs> because my tiredness all goes off because of these kids. Nori and his wife moved the family to the United States because they were afraid that one day his kids would be at the wrong place at the wrong time. And just like that, a suicide bomb would take away the thing he cared most about in the whole world, his family. This has given him a unique perspective on the past year. COVID, it is a challenge. It is a worldwide challenge. But comparing to the viruses that we have in Afghanistan, which was created by human beings, and ignorant people are always there to suicide, which is totally against the humanity. Um, It really hurts us. It really hurts us. Um, Do you ever worry about that here, about, like, people's ignorance in the United States? Ignorance is... um, I think now ignorance is spreading all over the world, not only in Afghanistan. Most of the countries, most of the powerful countries are facing this, this, this issue, which they don't accept others. Um, this, the, this, the, problem, the solution for this problem is diversity. People need to accept their each other. We are, this is a small planet and it can be um, described as a garden, which has different thousands of types of flowers that cannot be the same. So diversity is also something which um, we cannot change it to make it one type of flower only. It should be a garden, and that's why it's called garden. A garden, where the thing that makes you different is the thing that makes you flourish. This is the world Nori envisions, and he's working towards it with his restaurant. One of your reasons for opening the Mantu is is to share Afghan culture with the world, or at least here in Richmond, Virginia, which is, you know, your little piece of the world. How do you think that's coming along? Um, Opening the Mantu um, was uh, a dream that I've never, I mean, it was my dream, but I've never thought of it. It might take place this soon. Um, I know the world is not right now because of these technologies, it's getting smaller and smaller. So uh, whatever happens here, people can see all all over the world. So whether it's on TV or through the restaurant's Instagram account, Nori with his rose-shaped dumplings is inspiring people and even his own kids to go after their dreams. Is it fun seeing him up on TV? Mm Mm-hmm. This dish represents the love and passion that I have in my kitchen. Back on the show, Nori and Bobby place their version of the Mantu in front of the judges. So who wins? I guess you'll have to watch the show to find out. I can tell you, though, that Nori is ready in case any other shows come calling. I always welcome any challenges for money shaves. (laughs) And I'd watch out, because knowing this guy's cool-as-a-cucumber demeanor... Anything is possible. If you trust yourself, if you have the confidence, as I always say, it's a piece of cake. (laughs) Catching up with Nori reminded me that after this past year, 
No matter who you are, life looks different than expected. My colleague Ahmed, the host of this podcast, knows all about that. Resettling in the U.S. means his life is different than what it would have been if his family stayed in Iraq. Although he's not interested in dwelling on what might have been, he did recently have a chance to visit. So I was curious, what is it like to go back to a place that may or may not feel like home anymore? He also released a book this year, While the Earth Sleeps, We Travel, a compilation of stories, poetry, and art he's collected from young refugees around the world. So I was excited to catch up with him about that too. Hey, Ahmed, how's it going? Hi, Angela. It's great to hear your voice. Since we've worked on the podcast together, I know you've been busy. You published a book. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I mean, it was uh, two years in the making. I started in, in 2018, uh, really traveling around the world uh, in Greece and Trinidad and Tobago and, uh, you know, in, in the U.S. as well, working with uh, resettled refugee youth in, in Syracuse, upstate New York really uh, around creative expression, working with displaced young people, asking them about their own uh, stories, their own experiences, and really inviting them to, to share those experiences on, on their own terms. Yeah, where do you think that comes from for you, this, this want to provide people tools to be able to share their own stories on their own terms? Through my personal experience, I think seeing the power of uh, the sharing of my own personal story very early on and, and you know, starting in high school and seeing the power of that to make other folks uh, comfortable enough and, and uh, you know, interested enough to, to do the same, you know, folks and, and especially young people and young displaced people uh, and, and young, you know, displaced young people they are more than the tragedies that they may have experienced. And, and it's important to to lead with that. And, and it's important to acknowledge that and to to really center that. So you recently just spent some time in Iraq. Can you can you tell me a little bit about it, about what it was like to be back? Absolutely. So, you know, I hadn't been back since uh, 2015, right before I started college. Uh, and so I spent a month there all in all. Uh, in a city called Erbil, uh, which is in the Kurdistan region of, of Iraq. It's in a region where, you know, over the past two decades, uh, you know, things have been relatively stable. Uh, the Kurdistan region uh, includes uh, Suleimaniya, Erbil, and and Hok. Um, and Erbil, uh, you know, is, is one of the most famous cities of, of the three. So many folks from around Iraq and from around the Middle East have actually, you know, moved to Erbil and it's thrived because of that. So it's, it's actually thrived from uh, the migration that's that's happened, um, you know, forced in some cases and, and uh, voluntary in, in others. Uh, and so it's really become this rich tapestry of, of so many different uh, kinds of folks. Why is it important for you to go home in some ways? Or it's not really home, home. Texas maybe is home now, but what is it? Yeah, how, how, what is home to you? What is, like, how, how do you reconcile with that? And, like, what does it mean to, for you to go back? Yeah, I think to me, home is, is where I can connect with, uh, people where I can connect on a human level and, and have meaningful, authentic conversations. Uh, and, 
that definition, I think, is 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 very. It's something that I've I've come to understand and appreciate more and more uh, as you know we've traveled from one place to another. I mean, my family went from you know uh, Baghdad to uh, to Aleppo to another part of Syria to Sioux Falls, South Dakota to Houston, Texas, and I went off to college in Connecticut, and you know now I'm home in Houston for for a bit. Uh, this, these movements really teach you to appreciate uh, and, and value uh, permanence, yeah, but also understanding that permanence is, is a luxury. You know, my, uh, my life and, and my story and, and my work are always going to be in between, you know, my, the Arab side of me and the American side of me, and they're all they work together and that's what makes the work what it is and it's something that has taken me a long time to fully articulate and, and appreciate um, and and going back home I think just reinforced that idea knowing you Ahmed has been one of the greatest things in my life just hearing all of the amazing work that you're doing and uh, I've learned so much, and I cannot wait to hopefully, knock on wood, come and visit you in Boston sometime. I, for one, know the next time I'm in Richmond, I'm going back to, to Chef Nouria's restaurant, Milan, too. So I uh, wish everyone you know, the very, very best, and again, just feel so lucky to have been able to be part of this project. So why will Ahmed be in Boston? This fall, he's beginning a graduate program in arts education and entrepreneurship at Harvard. I mean, how cool. This guy is nonstop. I'm definitely looking forward to picking up some university swag when I come visit. After the year we've had, and honestly, the uncertain future we're going into, even just thinking about visiting each other, reconnecting and sharing updates, it kind of feels extra special. Like, the whole world now knows what it feels like to miss friends and family and not know when you'll see them again. I mean, it also reminds me of when we started this podcast, talking with Ahmed and Nori and hearing others tell stories about feeling disconnected, isolation, anxiety, not knowing what the future holds. I mean, those are all things we can really connect with right now. But we can also connect with those small moments and some big moments that make life bearable and even joyful in the face of tragedy. I'm Angela Messino, and you've been listening to Resettled, a podcast about refugees and the milestone moment shaping their experience. A huge thank you to my editor for this episode, Whitney Henry Lester, and Gavin Wright, the managing producer of podcasts at VPM. Steve Humble is VPM's chief content officer. Special thanks and a huge congratulations to everyone who has had a hand in producing Resettled at any stage of the production process. I mean, it truly took a village. Thank you to Ahmed Bader, to Jilda DiCarli and Kelly Jones. Thank you to Catherine Kamp, Maria Parazzo Rose, Nazir Afzali, Yasmin Juma, Gabrielle Jones, Sufia Ahmed, Helen Zinedine, Zarmina Wahidi, and Jordi Yeager. 
Also, a special thank you to the organizations who have helped connect us to the people you've heard throughout the series. To the International Rescue Committee, Church World Service, Reestablish Richmond, the Office of New Americans through the Virginia Department of Social Services, the Peer Leaders Program at Harrisonburg High School, Virginia Center for Inclusive Communities, the Harrisonburg International Festival, and Charlottesville Festival of Cultures. These organizations work directly with refugees, immigrants, and newcomers. For links to their websites, go to vpm.org resettled. Theme music from Sandhill. Additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. And of course, VPM podcasts like Resettled are supported by listeners like you. Consider becoming a member at vpm.org donate. VPM. 